0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to Freelance Friday with a Casey. It's a podcast all about freelancing through the opinions and experience of freelancers. Today on the show, we've got Paul Galanko at Communion Coffee and Coworking in Richardson. Paul is yet another friend of mine from Weld. You're going to hear from probably a lot more of these still yet to come as we knock them all off the list.
1: Rest in peace, Weld.
0: Yes but uh, lives on in the hearts of all of us and in the lives of all of us <laughs> and in the relationship somehow. Uh, anyway, uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Paul?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Paul Colonko. I've been the sole owner and operator of Paul Go Images since 2007, I think. It's a little murky on the dates of how long it's been, but um, yeah, I've been doing... Uh, for a majority of the time, was doing a lot of humanitarian nonprofit photography, and then eventually video as well. And then more recently, have been doing a lot of architecture and uh, custom image libraries. So helping clients get out of the stock world and helping uh, really brand themselves with their visual elements.
0: So kind of like basically building their own in-house like stock libraries, more or less. Yeah, yeah, and
1: it's it's a really ambiguous, and I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out how to. Concisely describe it just because it, it can be anything from you give me a shot list of things that you need and I'll go capture it, or we just spend a day together and I just shoot around to see what I see.
0: Right. Yeah. It can be really various. Yeah. So, what, uh, it's a long time 12 years. 12 it's years. Like twice as long as I've been doing it. Yeah. Um, so what got you into freelancing? How did that, I mean, did you already always had an interest in photography growing up?
1: Yeah. So, that's, that's the funny thing. It wasn't until my senior year of college. Um, and I graduated in 2006. Uh, that I, anyone told me I was creative. <laughs> I a friend of mine asked me to help her with her marketing campaign. I was like, sure, but why me? And she goes, you're creative, and I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, okay, oh cool. And at that time, I was I was working uh, a photography uh, event photography job as my college job. Um, and so, yeah, I had a little bit of an interest in photography and it was mostly out of boredom because I'd go to these events and get bored. And so I'd just be like, Hey, what can I do that makes this shot interesting? Um, and then I worked in software after that. I graduated with an MIS degree, worked in software for a couple years and realized I didn't really love the corporate world in general. Um, so I was planning on moving overseas with the Peace Corps and then the, uh, global financial crisis hit and I didn't have a job and I didn't have a lease under my name because I was planning on moving and figured, what skill do I have? And at that point, it was really just photography. And so, 2008, uh, I just dove headfirst into photography.
0: What? So with the photography job that you were doing in college, what? How, like, what drew you to that, or how did you end up doing that? Of all yeah. things, it was it was
1: seriously just complete random. Like uh, a friend of mine from high school; he was a couple years older than me was the manager of this little tiny photography shop. And I was like, hey, yeah, I could use some extra cash. And so I started as his photographer. And then uh, he left, graduated, and I took over as a manager and kind of like built it up and um, ran the business essentially. So you didn't have any idea at that point that you were like
0: going to... No man go no. This. my
1: my job was to show up <laughs> to a frat and sorority parties with a camera and take pictures of people <laughs> and put it online and like I for the longest time after graduating I was known as as Party Pix Paul just
0: cuz people always saw me at their parties. If We go online is there any evidence of this anywhere can we find Party Pix Paul anywhere these days you think?
1: <sighs> you know there are, there are any number of random college photos of me floating around so I'm sure it's possible
0: (laughs) (laughs) so then okay so 2008 you decide hey I'm just gonna try to jump headfirst into this this is Mm -hmm. kind of all I've got right now going for me how did you start generating business from that and how did you how did you figure how to price yourself
1: man that uh, that is actually the place that I love working with other photographers now because I had no clue. And that's what I love about you, what you're doing with this podcast is you're helping photographers kind of figure it out or freelancers in general figuring it out. I didn't have those resources that I knew of when I was starting out. And so um, I started out uh, doing wedding photography and portrait photography. Um, in Dallas, you're supposed to be able to make a good living off of doing that. And I kind of knew a general idea of what prices should be, but not really having a good, clear idea of what I should be charging. And so I just... Sometimes I overcharged and under delivered. Sometimes I way overdelivered, undercharged. I mean, it was really
0: just a, a guessing game for a long time. So, would you just kind of like pick a number and say, like, ah, I think it's going to be this? Or would you like calculate based on how long you thought it was going to take? Oh, or is no, it, it like it other just, photographer charges this much, like a thousand? So, I'm yeah. going to do a thousand or?
1: Yeah, it was more of uh, here's what other people are charging. So, let me go under that because I know I can't command that price. Okay. And that's how it started out. And honestly, the first, I did wedding photography maybe two years. And in those two years, I think I got down to almost bankrupt four times.
0: Wow. Yeah. Would you, so with that, would you be offering like, because I know some photographers will have different packages that include prints or albums or anything like that. Whenever you would uh, pitch stuff, would you include that kind of stuff like that as well? Or was Mm -hmm. it just kind of a digital delivery? Yeah, so back when, I mean, this is 2008, so the
1: digital environment really hadn't exploded like it is a norm today. And so I just said, um, you'll get my time, here are the different sessions that I'll offer, here's like if you want a second photographer or not, and then I'll give you just all the digitals in an online gallery. Um, and at that time, having all digital files was like priceless. I mean, you could, you could really upcharge at least in my experience, you could upcharge and people were like, oh my gosh, you get the digital files? That's great.
0: I especially imagine being online because that's probably still, I guess still would, probably, would have been like earlier on in the like digital online delivery phase. I feel like because with the like internet speeds yep. and the file size of photos and how long it would take to upload all of them, I think like most, most photographers would have gone the like CD or DVD route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have...
1: I, I got rid of them, but I had stacks and stacks of of CDs, even branded CDs. You know, all of my CD packaging. Did
0: I just tossed do them. The, do
1: you ever do the branded like uh, thumb drives or anything? I, you know, I that was starting to become popular when I got out. I, that's the direction I would have gone.
0: Yeah. But so okay, so how do, how would you get these gigs?
1: It was word of mouth.
0: Um, so you just start telling people, "Hey, I'm doing oh yeah." Photography man, there was now. a lot I'm of like just Joel.
1: shameless self promotion. I mean I, I ended up being in charge of a a list serve that had, you know, a few hundred people on it. And so occasionally I would just throw in a little blurb it was like, "Hey guys, here's what's going on this weekend. Also, if you need a photographer, hire me." <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was just shameless and I I got a couple friends who who really called me out on that. They're like, "Bro, this is not the avenue by which" You're like, <laughs> But work though, yeah. I need <laughs> oh, yeah. this. Yeah, thankfully my software job brought me back as a contractor since I knew, knew their systems. That helped tide me over whenever I was going broke. Um, but really at the end of the day, what it was is I just wasn't passionate about portrait and wedding photography. And so I didn't really put everything I had into it. I didn't really care to investigate and research and figure out pricing and packaging and marketing. Um, and so I was, I was about ready to, to throw in the towel.
0: So then what's the like transition point from there into like what was the next thing you did after that? Because I think I, I did wedding stuff for, I think it was probably about two years, yeah. and that was kind of the breaking point <laughs> for me too, where I was like, all right, I've done enough of this. I feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over and yep. over. Yeah. Like Props to some, there's, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that do it full time. And props to those people, because we need those people, and it's awesome to see people passionate about it, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it, yeah,
1: I mean I, the people that are doing it full time, I feel like they're they're passionate, they care deeply about the industry, about the, that special day, yeah, you know, and I just I didn't <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you feel like um, it might have changed now or be a little bit different now that you're married and or no? uh because you can like maybe have a little bit more of a relation and be like, oh, like a nostalgic, like I've been there. I, I know what it's like.
1: No, actually, just because I think we just had a, a different wedding. Even our wedding wasn't the typical Dallas done up wedding either. So I pro- it probably would be worse now. <laughs> but no, yeah, so the, the changing point. So, yeah, I was looking to move overseas um, and it ended up being with the Peace Corps, but I really wanted to understand what was life like in the nonprofit NGO world? where they're so resource um uh what's the word? Uh, they under resourced. Yeah. Where, whereas here in America we're almost over resourced. So like what's what was the bridge between the two? And so that was my whole whole drive to move overseas in the first place. Um, and then when it all fell through and I, you know, lost my job and then I was starting to burn out on photography, I was like, well, man, what can I do? And an opportunity came up for me to come to what, what's now South Sudan. This was before they split. And so it was just Sudan and I got to go with the medical team and there were two other photographers on the trip and we went and just documented what, what was going on. And oh my God, I just loved every minute of it. I mean, from just having to, flying into a dirt strip where there were farmers like clearing hogs off the runway to gain to see what life is like in trying to help with sanitation, clean water, with uh, HIV testing, hearing testing, and just gain to see like, there's some really cool stuff. There's a great need, but there's also a great, um, there are a lot of great people who are trying to, to plug the holes in the dam. Um, and I loved seeing those stories, and that's really where the idea of story really started to, to, um, to burn inside inside me. I was like, man, those are some amazing stories, and some of these stories need to be told. And sometimes you can only tell them visually, or at least for me, I could only tell them visually.
0: Yeah. What uh? So was I mean the trip itself is this? Uh, how did you get end up on that? Was it like a church trip or? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like a,
1: so it was a it was a church mission trip and. Uh, the pastor um, that was kind of walking with me as I was planning on moving overseas, he had just gotten back from Sudan and said he was gonna go um, on the trip. And I was like, well, dude, wherever you go, I'll go. And uh, so he was planning this trip to Sudan and then he ended up getting sick or something that he couldn't go, so
0: (laughs) I went without him. (laughs) So then Um, were you gonna use photography overseas and like go over there or I mean, or were you planning on just ditching that and somehow you ended up with a camera on the trip anyway?
1: Um no no I was planning on bringing my photo- my camera with me. I mean I was even looking at some potential like overseas photography assignments. Um but none of them worked out and this was the only opportunity I had and so I went and I brought my camera. Um and it just happened that there were two other guys who brought their camera gear as well and it was it was awesome. Naturally your photos
0: yeah. are probably the best right.
1: You know I'd like to see <laughs> that. There was actually one other guy he and I he I called him my, my photography doppelganger. Um it, because he was doing wedding photography, I was doing wedding photography. We went on that trip and then started moving towards humanitarian nonprofit photography and even came came up with the same like value statements in our own words, like completely separate from each other. Um and so that was a that was a, a fruitful friendship that
0: that started then. That's cool. Yeah. So then after that, obviously like you've now got a little bit of a portfolio to kind of show for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh how did you transition that into like leverage that into more work? Because I mean, you were see if that was oh seven oh eight when you started, mm-hmm. and then you were doing weddings for two years. That yeah. was like two thousand ten. Yeah, I met you in like twelve or thirteen. Yep. I think thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. And I mean, you've done a lot of that kind of work ever since I've known you and to yeah. overseas stuff. So, I mean, obviously it's been something that's been fruitful and long lasting. Sure, I think one of the differences of me starting out in
1: humanitarian photography versus the wedding and portraiture photography is wedding portraiture photography. For the most part, I felt like I knew what I was doing, which I was completely wrong about. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna jump in and I'm gonna charge what I think other people are charging and then just go from there and then not necessarily getting the clients I wanted, not necessarily getting the type of work or getting to shoot the the kinds of of things I I wanted to. And I feel like I kind of probably had a little bit too much uh, bravado in me and it didn't work out. But um, with humanitarian photography, knowing that they already had like slimmed down prices and knowing uh, that they uh, were always in need of, of, of... telling their story, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put myself out there and there are going to be jobs that I'm taking that aren't going to pay me. But it's going to be something that I'm passionate about and something that I love doing. And so whenever I was able to capture some of those, I was able to get some of my kind of portfolio pieces and then from there be able to show that to clients and be like, here's what I can do and this is why I love doing it. And that was something I couldn't do when doing portrait or wedding photography.
0: So I mean, I guess that was probably it seems to be a common thread with people that I've seen that have like started out more general or in a different field and then end up finding something that they're really passionate about and they really enjoy. Um, That the, uh, the enjoyment and the passion from it really seems to be fulfilling in and of itself enough to where money doesn't really seem to matter so much. But then that money end up it ends up coming still because they're doing the thing they're passionate about and they're able to do better work. Sure. I wouldn't say that money was
1: inconsequential just because... <laughs> I mean, you yeah. still have to work you, for you it. It's not like it's just there, yeah. but... And I'm not saying I wasn't taking jobs that were just for money. Like, I was still doing some portrait work and I was still doing, you know, some just random, sh- random shoots, but um, yeah... I I had a passion and a drive to pursue humanitarian photography. So that meant that I was willing to put in the time and the hours to get my branding, to get my contracts, to get my pricing down, to to understand the projects better, to understand even the the nuances of humanitarian work—not just humanitarian photography. Like knowing what groups I'd want to go overseas with, which ones I didn't want to go overseas with, which ones I what stories I wanted to tell, which ones I – like I was willing. Oops, I was willing to put in the effort to to do the dirty work behind the scenes so that I got the opportunities to do the fun stuff.
0: Uh-huh. So then what did you, like how did you decide who you wanted to work with and, and, and not?
1: There was a, a book that uh, was part of our reading material for that first Sudan trip called When Helping Hurts and it was by a guy named Brian Fickert. And basically he just said A lot of the stuff that we send overseas really actually ends up hurting the people we are trying to help. Like one of the illustrations I think is in the book uh, talks about this church that wanted to adopt a village and the way that they were going to adopt that village and help them was to supply their eggs for a year. And so they... They pay for them to have eggs for a full year for this whole village and it was awesome like they got eggs and they were able to eat but then after a year their funding dried up or they weren't they wanted to move on to something else and so they stopped funding those eggs well what the problem was is that when they funded the eggs they put all the chicken farmers out of out of business and so they all left to go find other work and then at the end of the year now this village doesn't have any chicken farmers and they don't have any eggs and so they're actually worse off at the end of the year than they were at the beginning and so he kind of had to reframe some of our – our giving, some of our feel-good efforts to uh, to do good work overseas and reframed it to going, hey, like, what's really the the most beneficial? And it's also kind of deconstructing a lot of the paternalism, colonialism, um, white savior mentality kind of thing.
0: And so then I guess as you would – start vetting different organizations, you kind of like looking and, and, uh, at them through that lens mm-hmm. of what like, what are they doing? Change, yeah. what's, the, what's the bigger picture of things. Yeah. So then once you kind of, I mean, how would you go about finding these different organizations? Would you, would you approach them about working with them and going with them, or was it stuff that was coming to you, or how would you start getting jobs and growing the network?
1: Yeah, so um, a lot of it, one of the things that has been true in my life, has been I just always ended up having a really broad network. Um I went to A M, went to a, a large church here in Dallas and just had a lot of different connections and so um when you get into the nonprofit world, NGO world, you start just meeting a lot of people and um yeah, I just kinda start hitting up my network. Uh ended up going to Zambia with a, a friend of mine, um, who was on a similar trajectory as far as understanding holistic humanitarian help and uh she was starting an organization that was helping train locals on speech pathology um and so she was going overseas and i was like hey i'd to love to go with you and she said great we, we can pay you a little bit but not a ton i was like okay great i mean i'd love to just keep putting my teeth on it and so we went and um a lot of times when you're going overseas, you try and hit up a lot of different organizations t- to offset costs and, um, and and cost share kind of. And so I did a few of those when I went to Kenya, um, worked with uh, two or three different organizations. And I've, anywhere I would go, I'd just look up like who's who's an organization out there and what can I do for them or what do they need and and try and, and combine some of those jobs.
0: And so you basically, once you did that and found like and identified a few, you reach out to them and just say like, hey, I'm going over here yeah. to do this stuff. Are you interested in bringing me in for projects? Uh,
1: yeah. Um, are you interested in bringing me in a project? Do you have any need for some photography or anything while I'm over there? Um, or sometimes I'd reach out to organizations and um, start the conversation with them first and then say, okay, well, hey, I'm going over here, you know, in August. Would that be a good time?
0: So then with that, let's say that you had like three projects that get lined up over there, mm-hmm. are you spacing those out to where you're shooting one, shooting the next, shooting the next? Are you somehow stacking them or combining? Or how does that, with the cost sharing and all that, is that just like splitting travel?
1: Um, I'm trying to think.
0: Obviously, it's going to be different it, for yeah, someone, or like, different, it, for different every, organizations, it can vary.
1: Every time it was different, um, it just kind of depended on what was my principal assignment and then what are some of the ancillary jobs, like one of them was, hey, go take pictures of some doors that you see. (laughs) Because this group needed some stock photography of doors from around the world. And so it was just kind of like scattered in throughout my project. Gotcha, so just kind of as you're going, hey, there's another door, Mm -hmm. grab a few shots. Yeah, for me, I know um, you know a lot of my friends who were doing humanitarian photography stuff, they would kind of carve out a day that they would focus just on this day. Because it'd just be easier and cleaner to say, hey, organization one, you've got me for two days, and so I'll shoot for you for these clean cut two days but for me a lot of times my primary client was the one that was funding most everything and then I would have just kind of side gigs along the way like the door project
0: okay um right, that's cool man so then from there what that was what it takes us to pretty much let's see we're in 2019 2017 2016
1: uh till about 2015 um is really when I, 2015, yeah, 2015 is kind of when I, got, no wouldn't say grounded, but is, is where I, it was when I got married, and I didn't want to be traveling as much as I was, because I was traveling probably about three or four times a year, um, for, you know, 10 days, up to six weeks, um, and I just wanted to be, to be stable, um, and honestly, I mean, non-profit work, I made a living off of it, but that's when I was single, and could live off of a shoestring budget, um, and then getting married, wine you know, we were older at this point. I was 30, 30, 31. Um, and going, hey, man, we're going to have kids at some point. So I'm going to need to bring my income level a lot higher. And so I transitioned a lot of my business at that point into more commercial work. So how did you go about doing that? <laughs> I, I started over. <laughs> um, I you know, I'd been working with a couple of other photographers at Weld, um, doing some architecture stuff and really enjoyed that side. It was a more technical side, um, of the brain. Whereas, you know, storytelling exercises one side, the architecture, the lines, the, the angles, all that is, is exercising a different, different side of the brain. And so I thought, man, I really enjoyed doing that. Could I do more of that? And I had a few friends, uh, working at various commercial, um, property management firms and, they brought me in and thankfully they had decent budgets and so I didn't have to like scrape bo- scrape the bottom of the barrel to, to get these jobs, but um, yeah, I got to really cut my teeth working on um, some of these commercial properties and really enjoyed doing it. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna keep, keep going down that path and then at the same time, you know, video was, was entering more and more of my portfolio, so got to incorporate more of video. Had you done video stuff before that? I'd done some video stuff for nonprofits, and uh, you know they were just thankful for whatever I could give them, which was great. Um, not saying that I was giving them crap, but right. Um, I'd started to cut, yeah, get my bearings okay with them, and then um, and honestly, I'm still growing in that field. Like that's still something I'm I'm, I'm learning. Um, whereas photography is like I feel like I I can do that. Like generally, most most situations you can put me in. I can figure it yeah, out. Video, c- it's like oh, that, that's taking a lot more effort. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then, I know, I know there comes a point where, like when we well, when we first start out, which you've mentioned this with the uh, the wedding stuff, and you mentioned it with the NGO stuff, and you mentioned it with your architecture stuff. As far as like when you get started, you're kind of just doing what you can to like get some jobs, mm-hmm. and maybe you're getting paid for it, maybe you're not, but you're probably not like necessarily always making like great money off of it. Right. At some point, that has to change. Mm -hmm. What has the turning point been for you? How long has it taken? And how did you kind of make the transition and and identify, okay, I'm at that point. I need to flip the switch? Um, For me, you know, I would always say, whenever you can command
1: the price, and this is going to be very subjective to you, whenever you can command the price, then do it. I know. uh, I know of one photographer who was charging exorbitant amounts for her wedding photography and people were like really upset about like gouging people that she was gouging people and she goes my clients are paying it so back up off (laughs) essentially as a response um and and to a certain extent that's true like if your client don't pay for it then great if your client won't then adjust your prices and so what one of the things that I'm, i'm real big on is understanding what your cost of doing business is you have to know how much money you have to be bringing in and how much money is going out because that gives you a range. And so whenever I'm working with um, any kind of coaching for photographers or, or freelancers, we kind of, that's kind of building block one, know what you have to be bringing in on an annual basis. And then from there, give yourself a range. This is what I'd like to be making at the top end. This is what I have to be making. And as long as your client is willing to pay somewhere in between there, then you're doing okay. Now, that all that said i took free jobs because i was like i need to build a portfolio i need to show people that i can do i can put my money where my mouth is and there's just a little bit of humility in doing that of going you know what i'm i don't know what i'm doing so let me prove that i can <laughs> that i can do it first and if i can get paid for it great <laughs> if not okay at least it's a portfolio piece but i choose which ones are going to be my portfolio piece i'm not going to let my client go hey this would be a great portfolio piece um no I I'm going to choose <laughs> choose that one. Um but yeah it takes a little bit of humility and then understanding like what what really is it going to what what's it really going to take for me to run and operate my business in a way that provides a, a provides for my family.
0: So then how do you how do you figure out like so like you got calc- you know your cost of doing business calculated. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff. so You know how much you need to make but you still need to be able to break that down into however many jobs. yep. And so then it ends up being like, oh, I need four jobs a month or I need 25 jobs a month Mm -hmm. to be able to make that amount of money. Yeah. How did you kind of like figure out where that line needed to be as far as like the ratio of like price amount to like how many projects and then how are you able to actually hit that? So I, I have it broken down this is how much
1: I need to make a year. This is how much I need to make a month. This is how much I need to make a week, a day to, to an hour. Um, this is even to like with, without working jobs, like I need to be bringing in X amount every day or at least every month. But I have it broken down into, into every day as well without working. So that means if I'm shooting, then I need to be making money. If I'm editing, I need to be making money. Um, And so that's how I price everything now is like, I figure out, okay, how much time is this actually gonna take from the research, from interviews, if I need to do interviews or pre-interviews, to the site visits, um, to editing. And I just, having done enough of it, I'm getting better about estimating about the full amount of work that things are gonna take.
0: Okay, so it sounds like
1: you're doing it like kinda, like I do, continue, I think. Oh yeah, um, just and break it down by hour and go, okay, my base minimum amount that I need to be making per hour, regardless of task, is X amount. Okay, great. So start there and then ramp up. Right? Yeah, Depending on skill level, depending on other intangibles.
0: And uh, I think that's been really helpful for me and it took me a while uh, to be able to really stick to that stuff, I think. I got introduced to the like calculating cost of doing business and budgeting concept um, pretty early on. I'd say within my first like six months or a year, probably of freelancing, and I calculated everything. But I wasn't great at like sticking to the numbers mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, I need work, mm-hmm. I want to get jobs, and honestly, I wasn't really as good yet. Like I, yeah. it was probably best. That I, mm-hmm. that I didn't charge my full what I needed to at that point. But that being said, it took me like a year or two until it started really catching up to me where I was like, I'm in debt and mm-hmm. my debt is getting worse because mm-hmm. I have more going out than coming in mm-hmm. and I have to stop taking jobs that aren't like hitting that number. And I learned the hard way like, oh, this is why I have to stick to my guns on pricing. Yeah. Absolutely,
1: because I think as artists we feel such like we feel like what we're delivering to our clients is a piece of us. Yeah, we feel like it's artwork. It's like, oh wait, so you're not willing to, to pay for that? You're 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 wanting to pay half of that? Well, you're saying that I'm half of 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 a man or half of an artist.
0: Because right, you're, right. It's like no, it, that no, that's the lie. That is the. lie. But what's the thing that we all buy into? Yeah, or most of us.
1: And so yeah, it's it's sticking with your guns, knowing how much you you need to charge, but it's also sticking with your guns to who you are. Like, their negotiation of price is not a reflection of you as a person, as yeah. an artist.
0: There are no. shitloads of other, whatever you do, there are shitloads of other people out there that do the same thing just as well as you, or maybe way, way, way better. Absolutely. And so all that to say, like, yeah, maybe somebody's hiring you because you're really great at the thing you do, and you're like the eye that you have for it and all this, but somebody else could do same thing and that person wouldn't know a difference even though like maybe you look at it and you would but it's like whatever that is you know yeah, absolutely if, and so and for me that's helped to make it a lot less to take things a lot less personal and to look at it as like i'm providing a service that is not a rarity
1: yeah and that that is part of why i got out of retail photography Uh, And by that, I mean where I'm business to consumer. Because if I work with a business, they have a budget or they have a bottom line. They they understand the idea of this is a transaction. They
0: understand that it's the value of it too. Yeah. Because they're using it to help them make money. Exactly. And that's something you have to consider is, okay, is this
1: multi-million dollar company trying to just pay me $50 for a shoot. <laughs> it's like, no, you, you're you making at least that, if not exponentially more on yeah. this, on this. So you can afford it,
0: <laughs>
1: but also just not
0: getting too cocky either. Right. <laughs> right. It's good to, I, I think like where it helped, what helped me kind of start separating things in my mind was like, I'm sticking to my guns, on pricing because it's of a certain quality and of a certain value mm-hmm. that it adds to the client. Mm-hmm. Not because Casey did this great job or this rate, great like piece of artwork. Yeah. It's like, because it's like, Hey, you know, it's like, there was one project that I did for a client one time that I think like we were talking and I found out that, uh, they, they did like landscaping and stuff and I found out that like one of their properties was like a $70,000 a month contract. And, I'm, and it's like with a project like that, like you're going to sign at least a year or a two-year contract probably. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy shit. Like this video piece or whatever I'm doing for this person is very, very, very valuable. Yeah. And I mean, and it's like, if my work gets them one job, that's hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in revenue. Right. It, them spending $10,000 or $20,000 on some photo and video work is not a whole lot in right. comparison to like what that is. Right. Now, take the same thing. I might take the same amount of like time and effort spent to produce something for another company that might help them make an extra $5,000. Right, Like, they're not going to pay fifteen or $20,000 for it. Their right. budget, it's not as valuable to them.
1: Because they're, they're doing the same thing that we're doing. Yeah. What, what are my costs and what are my, like, what, what's coming
0: in, what's coming out? <laughs> yeah. And it needs to make, it needs to stay in the positive. And, uh, I don't know, that, helped, that, that kind of seeing that has helped me to better evaluate clients mm-hmm. and uh, know kind of who to go after. Yeah. Yeah, and here... Because uh, I, I, I had a lot of issues where I would have a hard time being frustrated that, like, what the fuck man people aren't wanting to pay my prices right. but I have to be charging this stuff uh-huh. and then I started looking at the clients that I was trying to get or people and I'm like oh yeah because it's not like a huge value add to them because their numbers aren't as high as right. this other company so let me go find other companies that are just bigger or are like throwing more money around mm-hmm.
1: yeah and that's where you have to kind of evaluate your client it's not necessarily what's their what are they willing to pay but is
0: are they the right client for what you're right, trying to do right right yeah and and it wasn't even for me to be like, Oh, I'm gonna go make more money. It's mm-hmm. like, no, either I need to like slim back my business so that I can lower prices so that I can work with this other client that I wanna work with. Right. Or I need to be like, huh ah, sorry, it's not gonna work because I can't pay my bills. Right. Yeah, so it's it's do you wanna go low
1: ball and get a lot of low ball clients, or do you wanna get, you know, a handful that just pay you really well?
0: Do you find that so I, f- I found that, that by and large, whenever clients refer b- new clients to me, that those new clients are very similar to the client that referred them. So if, like, if, some, if, if I have a client that's like, low-balling and not willing to pay and they're like a hassle to put up with, if they refer another client, that client's probably going to be the same way. Have you had, not always, but it's by and large, have you had that experience or is it, is that something that maybe just I've had more? You know,
1: I'm trying to think most of my low ball clients, like the ones who are like really like penny pinching, I'm not sure how many referrals I get from them because I don't think that they're necessarily as passionate about pushing me out.
0: That makes sense. I guess, especially if they think that you're super expensive, they're not going to like They're not going to tell their other cheap-ass friends about this great, expensive photographer.
1: Potentially, yeah. And and if if they're constantly driving for the lowest price, that shows you what kind of value they put in in photography. Um, And so people are probably also not asking them for referrals. Right. But I will say, like, one of my clients who, phenomenal client, um, I've had them since almost I started have now like they've pushed me out to even larger clients like international clients I'm going sweet and it's really like thank you I've actually for that client in particular I actually cut my rates I said hey I want to give you preferred pricing because you've been so great and so I'm I wouldn't say I cut it in half but I mean it was a pretty substantial cut in price I said I just this is my way to say thank you and I know you're making bank off of off of these properties that you own but that that it was a, It was a good just kind of hey, like I'll love to keep working with you so
0: you mentioned something that was interesting about about the, the people that don't like value the pricing or just like maybe they don't understand mm-hmm. why photography costs what it does. Yeah. And so there was a, a a thing I came across this like video seminar, something basically they were talking about the buying cycle. Are you familiar with buying mm-hmm. cycles? And how I don't know what I found is with with, with clients that don't seem to value or understand why things cost what they do you can eventually like get them to that point to where they do and maybe they'll pay for it but you're taking them through a very long process of educating them on why things cost what they do and then like providing like a proposition for them yep. versus just like skipping all that and finding the ones that already understand that stuff. Yeah.
1: The education of clients is a, always the, the biggest hurdle for actually taking a potential client to a paying client. What I do is my, I take my first project with a new client typically is a smaller project. And say, let, let's work together. Let's just work together and figure out if this works well. And then let me let me get an understanding for how you're operating as a client, like what you're expecting, what you're looking for. And then let me s- make sure I understand, like, what this is going to entail work-wise. And so, then from there, go, okay, this is a small project. Like, there's not a whole lot of miscommunication that can happen. <laughs> Quote, unquote. <laughs> uh, um, Supposedly. So, yeah. Ideally. I, yeah, ideally. Ideally, though. Right. And then and then start there and then just grow from that. And then the education part comes out of going, okay, so here's what happened. Here's what I did. Here's what I think is going to be best for you. And I think what, you have to frame it in that way because I think if you kind of come in saying, this is what I charge. This is what you you owe me. This is what you need to give me. It kind of puts them, not necessarily them on the defensive, but it just it, it changes the, the dynamic of the conversation. But if you say, hey, here's what we did. Here's what I think is really going to suit you best. They're already thinking what's going to suit me best. And so now you're just saying, hey, I'm on the same team with you. And so the education piece is a lot easier than when you're sitting there just trying to pull them over to your side.
0: Do you find it worth it to even go through the education all stuff like that with them? Or would it be more worth it just to move on?
1: That is a on a per client basis. Sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes clients just don't know. And I've lost clients when I've during the education process saying, Hey, this is what it takes, and they're like, Man, we 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 get that now, but that's still outside of our budget. And I would much rather have that conversation than go, Oh no no, we get that. But we still need you to lower your price. It's like
0: did did you Get that? Did,
1: did you understand what I just said?
0: <laughs> no, but I, no, I think let's take a step back and let's go back over this again. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, great. Then, you know, maybe it, it, let me, let me send you to someone else. Like I always want to be in the business of providing solutions. Yeah. So if it's a great way to look at, them. if you are not, if you as a business do not have the budget to afford me, which I like to think I'm pretty affordable. <laughs> like I'm not trying to gouge anyone. Um, but if you can't afford me, I know other people who have lower costs of doing business, so let me see if I can find somebody for you. And sometimes I can't, and sometimes they find somebody else, and I've had clients come back and go, "Yeah, we made a
0: mistake." <laughs> of course, they end up having, they probably end up hiring you, but then it just cost them more money. Yeah, and so they still learn.
1: They still learn, learn in the heart, eventually. Way. But I know I never want to burn bridges, because yeah. I want those clients to feel safe to come back to me. Or, and I also, I, I will always refer out people who I am confident in their skills because I don't want to refer somebody to a, a bad source. And I've done right. that a couple of times. And thankfully I had enough of a relationship with that client. They're like, Hey, don't refer to that person again.
0: And you're like, oops, oops sorry thanks. about that. Noted. Let me,
1: let me find you another person that'll, that'll really cover. Just on that point, talking about thinking through people who are, are just starting off, having that network. It was crucial. I think that's what the beautiful thing about Weld was. I remember when we first started Weld, there were a lot of people that didn't sign up. They're like, I don't want to have all these other competitors that I'm working next to that that they can steal my secrets. And that's not what it was at all. It ended up being a community so that you and I could sit there and talk through, you know, trouble clients or problems or we could – send each other work or, or send each other business or like maybe you have a skill set that I didn't have well now I can pass you on and now that's a good referral and now that's a value that I added to my client
0: yeah or maybe we teach each other yeah oh my gosh I I mean, I don't, so the amount much. of time that we had conversation just around coffee um, talking about different stuff or even just to kind of be like oh my gosh man I'm going through this and dealing with this client and somebody else will be like oh I know yeah. me too yeah. and to have that like camaraderie absolutely the camaraderie
1: somebody who's been there and got out of it yeah, that's I mean, that's huge, and so starting out, like just surround yourself with people they don't even necessarily need to be photographers or videographers or whatever, just bes- but people who are willing to get in the trenches with you.
0: Yeah, there's yeah. got to be some like common ground, absolutely. Um, I do find that at least for me seems to be more helpful or more comforting or whatever for it to be other creative type people because I feel like they can relate to me a bit more.
1: Absolutely. One thing that I did mention earlier is, you know, you start off with your range. What's your base price that you have to be charging? And then you scale up from there with the intangibles. And you follow it up with saying there's always going to be somebody who's better and cheaper than you. And I think that's absolutely true. And I've talked to lots of people who have been doing this for much longer than me. And you take two routes. You either go, hey, let me work with them and help do education. Let me, let me grow them, help them grow. Or you have the other side that's just bitter and angry of going, eh, some little young turd just undercut me because they can. And you get bitter. Um, and I always go for, you know, the former. Like, hey, like, that's great that there are people who are younger that can, that are better than me. I can learn from them. And I now have somebody who is a lower cost Service provider that I can send my clients, um, and that that only goes to serve all of us. You know, the rising tide raises all ships. Yep. And so we can't look at each other as competition all the time, unless you are directly trying to undercut me, which it's your prerogative. <laughs> my clients will like me still.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I still got my clients. Yeah. They're gonna come back.
1: Yeah. But the intangibles are, are huge. Of like, what are you providing your client that no one else? can provide what's what's what are those strengths that you have that you're that you're bringing to the table
0: talking about burning bridges have there ever been times where you have heavily considered burning bridges with people decided not to and ended up having something grand come out of it later on like I've had times with people personally where I was like frustrated with people. And I think the like most specific example I can remember was that was a friend that I was like frustrated with, but I decided to like not burn this bridge. And like six months or a year later, he ended up like hiring me for some stuff and, like, referring business to me, and I was like, oh, wow, I'm glad that I wasn't an asshole to him. (laughs) I'm sure there is.
1: I'm trying to think through specific examples. Uh, I mean, a lot of times it ends up, I'll be honest, like the one, the, the times that I want to burn a bridge is typically in the nonprofit sector <laughs> and I know that you totally can relate
0: 100%. I mean, no, it never happens. Yeah. What are you talking about?
1: Um, but I think, you know, it goes back to, to getting on their same side, like trying to see it from their, their point of view It's that they're not necessarily saying that they don't value me as a person. <laughs> even though they might be communicating, we want the lowest possible price. Um, but if you can reframe it, you can adjust from reframe it in your own head. You can pull back from from wanting to, to cut the cord with them. Um, you know, I, I can't say imme- like a direct correlation. I didn't fire this client, and that led to something amazing. I Not like right off the top of my head at least, but um, I always want to keep the door open for most clients. And again, kind of going back to the idea of of providing solutions. Because if I can provide a solution, it might mean that they'll never come back to me and they probably won't refer me. They'll refer the connection that I gave them. And that's totally fine. That means I don't have to deal with that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Trying to think through like all the bridges that I would have liked to have burned, and most of them, they just didn't have the budget, and we just—it was in a burned bridge. It was just a, all right, then this this might not be the best fit. I can think of, of one client right now actually, where it was there was just was not an eye to eye, and the project never completed. It was it was it was half baked, half paid for, and so it's like you know I I could chase this one down, but I'm not going to, and let it. Uh, it was with a I had a, a business partner at the time, and then we parted ways. And then, a few years later, uh, actually recently, went back to that old client and just said, "Hey, found some old stuff. Just want to give it to you." Gave her my card, and we'll. St- I mean, I doubt anything will come of it, but um, just keep keep it from being a sour note.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? I I definitely would recommend. Don't ever burn bridges. Yeah. You never know what could happen. Yeah. doesn't mean you have to, like, keep walking across those bridges.
1: Yeah, and it also doesn't mean that you have to play nice necessarily. Like, you, you
0: need to stand by your values. Yeah, be firm. Yeah. But, but you, don't, you don't have to give them the hard push off too much. Yeah, yeah. Be firm with tact.
1: With, with gentleness and grace. <laughs> gentleness and grace. We all, we all need
0: that. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk a little bit more um, as far as the like, legal side of stuff. Because I know that's a big thing that I've had a hard time with. Mm-hmm. And how do you handle business structuring and filing taxes or keeping up with all of that? Do you do it yourself? Do you have a CPA or accountant? Yep. Do, yeah. You... Yeah, um, do you, yada, gotta...
1: yada? Yeah, I've got a bookkeeper and an accountant. And so the difference being bookkeeper, monthly retainer, she tracks all of my transactions, tells me how much I'm spending, how much I'm making, and then uh, she also kind of moves some money around for me and agreed upon. So I have, my setup financially is way more complex than it needs to be. Like you can make it really simple, but I, just the way my mind works, I have one, two, three, four savings accounts all for different purposes. I'd have a fifth one if I really wanted to get nitty-gritty with it. But, um, and then a checking account and then two credit cards.
0: Um, And that's just for the business? That's just for the business. For my
1: personal, uh, probably somewhere in like seven or eight savings accounts, two or three checking accounts. And this is combined with my wife. Um, Two, at least two credit cards and then a bunch of other stuff. But, uh, no, for on the business side of things, so what I do is um, every paycheck that I get, actually no, not every paycheck I get, on a monthly basis, I'll have my bookkeeper, um, you know, after calculating cost of goods sold, um, taking my income, my net income, matching it against my expenses, and then whatever's left over like a, she's allocating for wages and federal taxes already in that I have a savings account for federal taxes that she'll just move money over to. And so that just sits there all year until I need, or all quarter until I need to pay out. She'll take, calculate all my sales taxes that I charge to clients, moves all of that money into a savings account. And then after she's moved all of that money, we'll take whatever's left over. And then I'll put a little bit of money into a gear savings account. I'll put a little bit of money into just a like, Wages account is what I call it. It's just my emergency fund so I can pay myself in the event of like a really long, slow season. And and then every quarter, if I still have like a a pretty significant net profit, then she'll take a percentage of that and pay me a a little extra bonus.
0: So then do you have a set amount that you're making? Like you have a set like salary for yourself or how does that work? Yeah, I have a set salary for myself um, and I just took a look at
1: my personal cost of living and said, how much do we need to be making, um, with some cushion, um, between my wife's and, and I's salary and said, okay, well that's how much I'm going to pay myself. Um, and I'm always looking to see, okay, how can I be paying myself more? Is it time to give myself a little bit of a raise? Um, and so I filed for uh, an S corp, I think three years ago. I was a, an LLC, just a pass through LLC. And then before that I was just a, Um, a sole proprietor DBA. Um, And slowly I've just been wanting to separate my personal from my business as much as I can um, so that there's no confusion and there's also no possibility for liability to bleed into my personal.
0: So why why did you go from the LLC to the S-Corp?
1: When I did it, it was like when everybody was doing switching over to becoming an S Corp, paying yourself a salary. There were some tax benefits, potential tax benefits to doing that. But then uh, shortly after I did that uh, with uh, some of Trump's new tax cut things, policies, it actually was kind of a wash. So if I didn't have to go, if I didn't have to do it, I'm going back, I probably wouldn't have done it.
0: Um.
1: And I just looked, I talked to an accountant um, and – she just kind of set it up in a way that said, "Yeah, it makes sense to go ahead and, and separate it."
0: So, I mean, from my, your understanding now, as you might be able to tell, we're both kind of like it, 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 talking about this because yeah. I don't. Neither of us really like probably understand it. It's like so that freaking well. confusing, man. And there's so much. Um, if you want to hear more in depth about this stuff, go back in one of my first few episodes. Is an interview with Jonathan Bander. Hmm. Um, yeah, he's a CPA where we kind of talk in depth more about some of this stuff. Uh, though it has been a couple of years since that interview happened, so some of that stuff might have changed. Anyway, that'd be at least a good basis for you. But, 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 you I mean, with that, which, what you were saying, going to the S corp and all that, you, from your understanding, is there really much of a difference now between that and the LLC as far as taxing, or how does?
1: As far as I understand it, costs wise, there's not much of a difference anymore because there were so many more. Um incentives to just being an llc and so i think they really incentivized having an llc versus becoming an S corp llc um the difference as far as practical application goes is i pay myself an actual salary i'm I'm a w-2 employee of myself which can get a little bit confusing because i'm also part of the owner of the s corp and so i do um I do a salary and I also do an owner's draw every month. Um, and I set aside money into my federal tax savings account and it's also being pulled from my salary. And so the, the government's getting paid and then I'm also saving in case they want to charge me more.
0: <laughs> <year>. <laughs> did you, did you, I mean, did you start stuff like this from the get-go whenever you were younger and doing stuff or-, or, or When, when I started, it was, I just got to, I got to pay
1: my bills. And so it was all one bank account and, um, yeah, anything, it was really just money in, money out. As I started growing, I got a business account, set up my DBA, everything, set up a business account so I could really watch money coming in, money coming out from the business and then pulling whatever money I needed as I needed it. Um, but my wife really, she likes to have predictability, stability, um, she wants to know um, on a regular basis how much is coming in from to our personal accounts. And so I, that just required a little bit more structure from my end as far as paying myself um, to give her a little bit of, of confidence or comfort knowing that this is how much money is coming in. And so that's when I started moving into a, a salaried or, or set figure that I'm, I'm going to be pulling into my personal every month.
0: So then how do you... How did you do that, considering that being the type of business that we're in and not being employed by somebody else we're like perpetually unemployed
1: <laughs> yeah it i I watch my projects and my income like i the the reports that my bookkeeper sends me i'm i I look over that and say okay like what's what's going on what can i what can I tweak um to adjust things, and most of the time I really don't, there's not a whole lot that I tweak. Um, I have a a spreadsheet every year that tracks my expenses, that tracks my income, and it also tracks what money I'm expecting to come in. So what contracts have I got signed that I know clients are gonna be paying out and about when so that I can watch, okay, well, I have about three months of runway. Okay, well, then I I need to figure out, can I get clients now? So it's July now, August, September, October, so November. Can I, I need to bring in some clients in and then I watch based on those projections and based on what's happened the past six months I can fairly assume <laughs> that the trend is just going to continue and so I base all of my kind of estimates on that so I take what's what's happened the past eight months how much have I made on a monthly basis okay and this so let's say I'm, and this is just for number's sake, I'm averaging $1,000 a month. OK, well then for after eight months, I'm assuming that the remaining four months of this year, I'm going to make $1,000 a month. Will that, will that work for me? No? OK, then I need to get more clients.
0: So then you just kind of found a place that worked that was a happy medium for everything and then said like, hey, here's the number I got to hit every month as far as like sales. Uh yeah generally. Um and
1: again looking back at my cost of doing business going I need I know this money is going out regardless. So I right. need to have that money and that's why I have that um savings account that's just for emergency funds. And so and that- I'm, I'm trying to make that to be 3 months my my short-term goals are 3 months of of salary and then 3 months of salary plus expenses and then 6 months of salary and then six months of salary and expenses.
0: And so I'm just trying to hit each of those targets. Just kind of trying to gradually grow. Yep. I This year for me has kind of been a breaking point a little bit where um, I feel like I've gotten a little bit better of a groove and I'm actually making a bit more than I'm spending. And so it's allowed me to like focus on paying off debt and mm-hmm. being able to start moving into that same kind of mentality of like, okay, cool, I've got this money. I'm confident that more is going to come in in the mm-hmm. following months, mm-hmm. even though I'm perpetually unemployed and it's not like a given that it's going to happen just because for years it's worked out somehow. Mm-hmm. And used to my mentality was kind of like, Oh, I got this big job that came through. I have all this money. I need to go buy this gear right now. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm <laughs> going to be able to next month, if I'm going to uh-huh. have the money. And now I'm like, no, nah, I've got all this money, but I'm still going to wait six months to buy that gear until mm-hmm. I've like properly allocated the money for, For that.
1: Yep. Yeah, so part of part of what my monthly routine is is setting aside from my net profits a certain percentage to go into gear. So that means I have a savings account that I can look at. This is the total number I have in this savings account for gear. Is what I want to buy more than that? Okay, then that means I can't buy it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you don't buy stuff unless you have liquid cash for it. Yep. Have you always done that? Uh
1: That's kind of a squishy answer (laughs) Uh, because I don't necessarily – I always had liquid cash per se. (laughs) It was just whether or not it was my own or the business's. Right. And so, yes, to a certain extent that, yeah, I always had cash for it, but I will – there have been times when I've carried a balance on my credit card. I try as best as I can to pay off my credit card every month. Um, But even then, like even with that, I'm actually starting to consider would it be more – and and all your listeners can critique me on this one, would it be more effective for me just to say I'm paying X amount to my credit card regardless of if it's more or less because I'm averaging about X amount so might as well just put that, that way I know X amount is leaving my checking account. Right. Every month. And then will I incur um, interest rates on on some of that? Yes. Yeah. But maybe it's worth it just so I can have that that kind of stability. Now one thing um, uh, real quick you've said Um, Perpetual Unemployment
0: What do you mean by that? Meaning Where Like a typical Like working class Like Somebody that has A nine to five job Like they're not so worried About where their income Is coming from Because Mm -hmm. they get a salary They go into work They work They leave Mm -hmm. So like Unless they lose That one job They have Like they're fine Whereas with me whenever I finish a project like maybe they need me for something else but maybe they don't and Mm -hmm. like it's like job to job to job to job and that's just kind of how how at least for me the business is more or less and so it it's almost like getting employed all the time by all these different places and so it's in a sense uh, perpetual unemployment because as soon as I finish a job I'm unemployed Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think
1: that's good. Um, I would try and reframe it that while, yes, you don't have money coming in on a steady basis, but the time that you're you're charging money to your clients so that you can't have time off to work on your business. Like you're, all the money that you're making isn't just for production. It's also for pro- post-production and pre-production. It's also for time for you to do research. And so it's not technically like... I, I just want to be wary of, of considering yourself like, oh, I'm unemployed. I got to go slog it out now. Right. It's not like you need that downtime. Yes, you do. You uh, do. And like I, I'm just now coming out of, oh, you know, with, with some with some little blips here and there, probably about a, th- a quarter of of not a whole lot of work. But I needed that time. I mean, and then before that, it was a quarter of relaunching my brand. Um like I, I did a rebrand, relaunched my website, relaunched some social media stuff. It's a lot of work. It's a ton of work. And so there wasn't a lot of work happening that was client-based. It was all internal work. And then there was enough work just to get me by and squeaking. In, but this month was kind of like a break point for me. It was like, oh, I got to get some bills paid. Where's that money coming from? And then some client work that came in finally. And so now I'm picking back up and
0: getting back more into more of my client work. But I needed that downtime. Yeah, it's helpful to have it. Yeah. Does and so, go in waves a lot? It seems like. Do you find, It really does. Does it seem to be more consistent for you though over the years? Workwise or is it still pretty like up and down or is it predictable for you? Like can you look back at the trends at trends and be like, yeah. "Oh, it looks like October through December
1: are slow like every year." Every year. And so I think this is an imp- important topic of of paying attention to trends. Every year I do, and I should be every 6 months. Now that I look at it, but every year I, I look back at the year and go, okay, what are the trends? What did I see this year? What, what did I love doing? What did I hate doing? What paid well? What didn't pay well? What work has really gone well? Where have clients come in and then actually been repeat clients to look at where have I been? So I know where I'm going. And then just to try and ride that train. Um, cause there, I mean, like try and do weddings where in Dallas you can bank off of doing weddings but I, it sucked the life out of me. Yeah, <laughs> um, And so I was going bankrupt shooting <laughs> weddings where everybody else was like, killing it. Um, but I just had to find something that I was like, this isn't soul-sucking. Um, now I say that in all my wedding clients. So i like, I love you guys, but the work in and of itself is <laughs> still exhausting. <laughs> um, but yeah, you pay attention to those trends. And so I know that December, January, February are always going to be low months for me. Um, now sometimes I'll get a really good December um, just because clients are trying to finish out some of their budget. But most of the time, and I'm, I'm working on this, but most of the time people aren't ready to do their their spends at the beginning of the year unless they already had a project planned out for from the previous year. Um, and so I know I need to save up more for
0: December, January, February. Uh, have you ever uh, tried or looked into or thought about, um, I guess, getting a different type of business or different stuff during that time? Like finding, like for example, I think of, let's say, let's say for example, you're a wedding photographer and wedding season runs May through September mm-hmm. or whatever. Well, yeah. Okay, you've got the whole rest of the year that, like, not a lot is happening, but. Maybe you could like find another industry or something else that like does pick up in that season, and then all of a sudden, like, oh hey, like, or maybe you do like holiday, like family yeah. photography or you know, whatever. Yeah,
1: that I mean, I still will do portrait photography mostly, it's just for friends, and most of it happens in November, December, and that that helps offset some of those costs, okay, but also do, um, um a lot of my business planning during that time. So it's like, I know I'm gonna be slow, so might as well utilize that time of being slow to really plan and forecast and start planting seeds in clients so that when, they, so that when the new year hits, I'm already in their mind. Um, and so I, I typically, when I, I try and save up enough so that I know I'll have enough carry through for those times. Not necessarily because I don't want to take on different kinds of jobs, but just because I want to stay consistent with where i am like going back to the idea of trend, like I just want to stay on that trend and not, not try and depart from it too much. All that said, I also will do a website, an occasional website here and there. I'll do, you know, some one offs. Those always help offset some of the costs, but it's not necessarily I'm specifically looking for a different type of photography job for just those seasons. And maybe I should, but that's just been my, yeah.
0: that's been my, what, so, you, okay, you mentioned that, like, sometimes that's a good time to kind of plant seeds for future stuff with clients. Mm-hmm. During that time, what would a seed plant look like for you?
1: A lot of times it's thanking them for the work that they've already done. I used to do this when I was doing more humanitarian work. Um, I would do a highlight reel of the work that's been accomplished, and I've, I would send it out to each one of my clients. Regardless of if it, they're a humanitarian client or not, I was like, hey, you helped fund these projects because you hired me just to let them know, like, I'm not just in this for me. I'm also in this to give back, um, which I had a blast doing that. And it was also really good for me just to go back and look at like, Oh man, these are the countries I visited. Oh man, do you remember this story? Do you remember that story? Oh man, these are the lives that I got to see impacted. Um, I haven't done that as much lately as far as highlight reels, but I have, I do always try and and reach back out to my clients and just say, Hey, thank you. Like you make this my life make this partnership grow and I'm oh, looking forward to what we can work together with on for the next year and then that's just something because everyone's getting inundated with holiday stuff at the end of the year anyway so just plant that just so it's not like silence and then come the new year in January say hey I'd love to meet together and let's get coffee and let me take you out or something like that and let's let's see what this year holds
0: so then say you get that somebody hits you up gets back to you and y'all set up coffee mm-hmm what is your how do you handle that conversation as you're like sitting down? Because I feel like there is a little bit of a there can be a little bit of an awkwardness in that situa- so situation sometimes, of like, all right, what are you in for? What are you uh, What are you trying to do here? Are you just trying to like hang out with so me, get to know me? Are you trying yeah. to butter me up? Are you trying yeah. to like, what yeah. is
1: oh no, no, I mean, it just be upfront with what you're trying to do, like, hey, I'd love to sit down with you, let's get coffee. Love to hear what you have coming up this year that I might be able to work help, help you out on. Like, I, I wanna respect my client's time. Um, and I'm a very relational person. And so I could sit here and talk with you for you know hours. But if you've got a busy schedule, I don't wanna carve out three hours of your day just to shoot, shoot the bull. Um, let, let's carve out 30 minutes to an hour and say, hey, let's make this really pr- purposeful time. And hopefully that shows them that I'm
0: respecting their time. Uh, you find a client. You find that people are typically re, respe, um, receptive when you approach them that way.
1: Uh, yeah, but that uh, going back to my intangibles, like one of the intangibles is that I, I'm, like I said, I'm relational, and so it's a relationship, and so it's not. They already know that I'm I'm in their corner. Um, right. So it's so, like
0: people you have like pre-existing relationships yeah. with.
1: Yeah. If it's a new, if it's a new client. Uh, I'm, I will only ask to meet with them if there's a potential project already on the table. And that's something that they probably come to
0: you with, right? Uh, typically. Or you've like found They're, out somehow uh-huh. about it.
1: If I reach out, um, most of my communication will be through email. Part of that is just because I like to have everything in writing. Yep, it's really helpful to have that. Yeah, um, but then I'll meet up with them and then try and send them an, an email recap after the meeting. Um, But that's really go, hey, like, tell me what what you need. I did have one client reach out to me because of some of the work that I'd done with one of their – they knew the owner of this other company that was kind of tangential to their business line. And I said, hey, let. do you have time to talk? And this was just a phone call. And we just talked. This is what I do. This is how I typically work. What do you typically do? Why are you even reaching out to me? Like, do you have another charter that you typically work with? What's gone on there? Um, Because typically – clients that are, that are coming to me already understand f- that they need photos or video. Most of the time they don't understand that they, there's a story behind their photos and how they use it. And so I get to ask them questions like, hey, what's the story that you're trying to tell? Um, and so that, that necessitates having a longer conversation. Um, but if they already understand the, the necessity for visual media, that means they probably already used something, and so it's figuring out. Okay, what's what have you used? What's your expectation of photography moving forward? And that gets me a gauge for: Are you going to be a penny pincher? Are you going to try and lowball me all the time, or do I need to help educate you on what things cost?
0: Yeah, I feel like there are typically there are some like telltale things people will say or do that are indicative of someone that doesn't understand or is a penny pincher. Yeah. Like, what, what are some of the things that you found? Uh, hey, we got this video we want to make. It's just super simple and super short. It's going to be real easy. Yeah. They try and dumb down the amount of work that it'll take. Or, or whatever. Yeah. Whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like, oh, it doesn't have to be anything special or fancy. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you just take the picture and not, no editing? Uh, uh how, yeah. or, or just like, hey, how much would it cost for a two minute video? Yeah, when it's like really basic questions uh-huh. like that, and you're like, "Oh, dear Lord, you really mm-hmm. don't know what yeah. goes into this." That's that's almost always whenever I push back, and I don't
1: push back necessarily directly. I just ask a lot of the questions. Yeah, like I am a big fan of the Socratic method. Like, answer the question by asking a question. Yeah. So, great, cool. Uh, well, what are you going to use it for? Why are you using that? Why is the why is that the best method to communicate that story? Who's going to be in it? Do you have lighting? What time of day is this going to be? (laughs) Like, just asking some detailed questions and also very broad questions just to keep their minds
0: bouncing back and forth to go, there's a lot more that goes into this than you think. Because a lot of times people not... Most times, people aren't trying to be malicious. Oh, absolutely. They just have no freaking idea Mm -hmm. all of the things that go into it. Mm -hmm. But whenever somebody would come to me with such a basic question as that... uh, that's like, oh, okay, you really don't get this versus somebody being like, hey, we want to do a two-minute video. Here's kind of what we're thinking. Right, right, yeah. What would something along those lines entail? Mm-hmm. And then you're, from then you're like, oh, well, I can kind of like get a basic idea. Yeah. I don't know but you. Are you more willing to work with that client than the client that says, hey, we need a two-minute video? Oh, absolutely. Cause, because I, if somebody comes and asks me, hey, how much does it cost for a two-minute video? I already know they're early in the buying cycle, and I don't want to educate them. Yep. It's going to take me so long because yep. they're not going to pay me to educate them because mm-hmm. it's time that I'm spending mm-hmm. and they already don't understand or value the thing. And so I'm like, man, it would be a lot easier for me to like find somebody that already does this thing. Cause the client that I'm looking for, the client that understands that stuff and has the money for it, they exist. Mm-hmm. And anytime I spend not finding them or not working with them, it's just taking away from time that it could be. Yeah. And, 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 and like I go back to I think it's Dale Carnegie talks about this. I think it's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People.
1: The uh, Carnegie was he
0: or no that he was, was he he to, how to, to win friends, friends and influence yeah. people. Who was uh, Seven Habits is Covey. Yeah, Stephen Covey. One in one of those two books they talk about win-win situations yep. and how I think ultimately that's seven yeah I think so too and how like one of the habits is they look for win-win-win situations mm-hmm. and because if something is not a win for everyone ultimately it is a lose for everyone yeah and so really that's kind of in the crux of the way i've handled things the last few years since i came across that principle um because i really did start to see how that like man if this isn't a win for me it's not a win for them Mm -hmm. either because the way i always kind of looked at it was like well i'll go through this stuff and you know because i want to help them out and they really need this thing. And yeah. the would whole help. savior mentality kind yeah. of. How do you define a win? Uh, it it depends, I think, a little bit. But, like, ultimately, man, that's a really good question. Because
1: yeah. um, everybody has a different definition of what that win would be.
0: I think it depends on the situation yeah. and the client. But... I don't know, it's kind of one of those things that it's like, I know what it feels like, but it's hard for me to put it into words and say, this is what a win is. Yeah. I guess a win for me is it being a win for everybody involved. So like hypothetically a situation with a client, that would be a win, Mm -hmm. would be like, I get to work on a project that's fun and cool. I work with a client that I get along with. Mm -hmm. I get paid my rate. And yeah. the win for them is that like, is that that project is done within their budget mm-hmm. and that they are happy with the results of it and that they enjoy mm-hmm. the experience of the process. Yeah. Now, there are things that weigh one way or another in that that can kind of offset what makes something a win and what makes something not a win. If I'm not like particularly stoked about the project, but it pays better, then okay, that can still be a win to me. Right. Or if maybe it doesn't pay very much, or it's gonna be like a pretty tedious process, but the client is just badass. Yeah. Cool. I'm in, maybe. Yeah. But if it's really difficult, And they're paying well like there might be a project that's like relatively easy and they're paying really well but Mm -hmm. the client is just terrible at communication Mm -hmm. it's not a win for me anymore because if they're bad at communication then that trickles over and not only is that bad for us but it's bad for my other clients because now it means last minute work it means things getting jostled and pushed around so then the clients that do communicate well are like getting pushed back and it just doesn't Mm -hmm. Man,
1: I'm, I'm actually sitting right now in a situation where I've got a client that's paying me my rates that gave me a budget kind of ahead of time. And I was like, okay, I can work in that budget. Like, but I'm having to like pull teeth to get some expenses reimbursed and they're bringing me on for another project. I'm like, that's, man, I like I like working with you like as a, as people like I love it like I really enjoyed the team like the topic isn't necessarily my favorite thing but I'm like I'm having like like part of the reason I'm going skinny is because I haven't gotten that reimbursement yet
0: (laughs) so it's like man is it is this a win I don't know (laughs) what what would make it since since it's up in the air for you right now what would be some things that would make it a win and what would be some things that would make it a lose
1: I mean, to be really blunt, getting paid <laughs> would be a win. I mean, I've gotten paid by them. It's just getting some expenses reimbursed and getting, getting them done in a timely manner. That'd be a win. A lose would be not getting it at all. <laughs> um, or, or having six months, which we're getting close to that. I'm actually going to be jumping on a phone call or calling the client again here in a little bit.
0: So, like, would you... So you said they're talking about wanting to do another project... Yeah, got,
1: I have a but contract. You st-
0: but you still haven't gotten reimbursed for the expenses on a past one. Yeah. So would you still enter into the next c- a contract agreement in the project without having that? Would there be, like, how would that, situ- if you did that, what would that?
1: I, I'm, so uh, th- I was recently turned on to this idea of having a credit card authorization form on the contract. So they are required to give... You, in order to activate the contract, to give you a credit card number in the event of late payment, or be charged uh, late fees. Um, and i I have late fees kind of established. I just haven't I haven't done the the credit card authorization form, and I'm I'm looking into doing that because that makes sense to me. Yeah, this is this is the first client that's been so delinquent in reimbursement, and this one was was a different scenario, so enforceability is a little bit questionable as far as, like, it was an expense reimbursement form that I filled out for them rather than in me invoicing them for an expense reimbursement. Okay. And so there wasn't that, that those terms weren't stated on that reimbursement form. Okay. Because it was from them.
0: So it's a tough, that sounds like a very... Uh... Yeah.
1: And here's the thing is, like, I trust this client. They trust me. They value me and my work. It's just that I can't I need to get that in reimbursement right check, you know, and so it's like, man, like everything about this project is a win. There's just a pretty significant hiccup, <laughs> you know um, and i I am trusting the client on this um, and hopefully that isn't gonna be a bridge that they burn,
0: yeah, you know, I've had times with situ- like situations similar to this where where or that you're in where you have a hiccup and you get through it and it doesn't happen again and things are like great
1: yeah
0: and there are other times where it happens and you're like oh well we'll learn from this and hopefully it won't happen again and you get to the next one and you're like oh it happened again Mm -hmm. and then you're like uh all right yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna bounce yeah
1: i mean and then there's you know, you, you hopefully learn from all those mistakes. So like the credit card authorization form. Okay, well, like it has not happened to me where I've had clients pay so delinquently. So there needs to be a change in my policy and my procedures. It's probably just something you've never really even thought about, right? I've thought about it, but I was like, didn't really put a lot of importance on it because I haven't had to to deal with it.
0: Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like it's something that's kind of a new concept to do as well because I've not really thought about doing something like that. And so, it definitely kind of puts, it would put my mind at ease a little bit with, this, with something like that to not be worried about what happens if they don't pay, what happens if they do the work yeah. and I if, I, if they, because I'll typically do a half down before we start. Yep. i do all the work and then you owe me the second half within like a couple deliver. of weeks after final delivery. Yeah. There's there's always kind of this little bit in the back of my mind of well, what if we get done with the project and I deliver the last half and they just don't and they ghost you. Yeah, and they just yeah. don't like pay the other part and having that like auth form would definitely kind of I know there's
1: actually um some legislation that's um getting I don't know where it's at but to make it more cost effective to go to small claims court for stuff like that. I don't want to go court. Yeah, I don't want to. It's uh, so, I mean, there is some protection there, but yeah, when you have a, a non-paying client, it, it's just frustrating because there's not really a whole lot we can do
0: except for go to small claims court. Right. I'll say, that, like, for me, I, I had issues when I first started out my first couple of years with clients that would have, like, payment problems and stuff. But I feel like that as I got better and as my pricing went up a little bit, and as I started being more selective with clients, mm-hmm. those types started going away. Yeah, for me.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably accurate for me as well. Seems to be I've, the I've ones had, that are I've, like. Bottom I've only of the, had like two clients that didn't end up paying. One of them is this current one that's ongoing. Like yeah, she, I can't. They they paid. It's just a it just, the reimbursement, right? Just doing, really Really, <laughs> delete. And cool then right. I had one that just straight up didn't pay. Yeah, I
0: think. I'm trying to think back. I don't know that I've ever had anyone straight up just not pay. I've had some very late things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but never any. Like, it always works out somehow, mm-hmm. seems like. Uh, I have had some where it was like mid-project, just
1: knew it wasn't going to go. <laughs> like, I had a, a, a web de- redesign for a client. They paid half up front. And we were going, I was like, oh my gosh, what you are asking for is not what I'm talking about. Like what we agreed upon, that this is what's going to happen. And then the, the project just kept morphing. Yeah. As it was going, I was like, you know what? We call that scope creep. Oh, total scope creep. Total scope creep. I, I still held like held to my guns for, hey, this is what we agreed upon. And then eventually, you know, client wasn't as responsive. I just let it go. And then eventually they came back to me and was like, hey man, like, you know, ended up getting somebody else to, to kind of take this vision, but we're so thankful for He's like, great, I'm just gonna call that bad debt and call it a day. Still have a good relationship with the client. They they were uh, very thankful for the work that I did put in and forth. They were like, if I didn't have your help, I wouldn't have been able to get this project done. I looked at their final site and I'm like, cool, like, that's great for you. That's not what I would have done. <laughs> but I'm glad that you found something that was good. Do... Glad it's a win for you all. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it wasn't a lose for me. Right. It wasn't the best win. It wasn't my ideal win.
0: But it, you prevented it from being a loss by continuing.
1: Yeah. It it or just letting it go. Right. right not right. not trying to pursue I needed final payment because I also hadn't delivered final a final product because it just got stalled out.
0: So, like, do you... I mean, with that project, did you have any sort of written agreement or anything?
1: Uh, We had a loose one. Okay. It says, here's what I'm going to deliver. Here's what you're going to pay me. You pay a 50% deposit. I delivered a first draft to say, this is the direction I'm going. Is this okay with what you want? And the client kind of came back. And we agreed, simple first, stage two is going to be more complex. So I delivered half of stage one. And she's like, well, I want to do something a little bit more complex, like from starting stage one. I was like, that's not where we're going with this. Um, and so what what the client wanted ended up being more than what stage one was supposed to be. And I said, okay, well, then this has gone outside the bounds of what our agreement was. And then just called it a wash. Didn't even bring it up to the client. Yeah. I could have. Um, and the client would have been good for it. But I thought, you know, it's not worth it. Right. It's not worth it. Yeah. Because I want to keep a good relationship with this client. Yeah. Like, and and I wouldn't I won't be able to deliver something that is what they're wanting.
0: It reminds me of that reminds me of something my dad used to always tell me, which comes back to me a lot, is that sometimes it's better to do the right thing than to be right. Yeah. Which is really hard to do mm-hmm. a lot of times. But I find <laughs> it very true. Yes. That's I mean So that's a good word of wisdom. So what do you do? So how do you how do you handle contracts and agreements and all of that stuff?
1: I try and be really clear on my contracts. Um something that um Austin man talked to me about was you have your contract terms but then it when you send it to the client like bullet point these are the important things that you need to know cuz more than likely they're not going to read it. I have had one client redline. I had a few clients redline contract terms and I always appreciate when they do that cuz I'm like you're reading yeah, the cool. terms. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. You. <laughs> I've also had some clients go, "Hey, we're going to use our contract," <laughs> and going, "Oh."
0: So, what do you do in that situation?
1: Push back. I had one client that said, "We want full ownership of the of the photos." I said, "No," <laughs> and really, they're just want, really wanting to be protective of their brand, right? And this was a large company, so I was like, "I get that," and we came to terms on on what that would mean. It, ended up being like, I can only use it with their approval, but it still remains my property. It's basically an exclusive unlimited license for that. Right,
0: right, right. In all
1: honesty, it wasn't worth fighting for. I mean, it, that would have been just a pride.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, a po- or not a pride, um, just a policy issue. And so I thought, what's, what's it worth? Am I going to use this? Is this going to make me more bang later on down the road? No? Okay. And then I'd rather keep that my relationship with this client than fuss over that in detail.
0: Yeah, I've had that happen a few times mm-hmm. as I've gotten older and done this more, where like, I'm like, yeah, I'm shooting this really specific thing for this really specific person. I don't need to retain ownership. Of it. I'm not yeah. going to be licensing this image anymore. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to be selling anybody this thing. Yep. If I need this shot somehow, yeah. I'll just go shoot it again.
1: Yeah. And th- uh, this might be an example of a potential bridge burned because I mean, I usually try and stick pretty pretty strong to. I don't hand over rights. Yeah, same. This
0: client has fed me
1: <laughs> for right.
0: years. If they pay well enough, too, there's always yeah. There's a dollar amount for anything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so generally, and so you want rights? Yeah, that's cool. Uh-huh. But you got to pay for it. Yeah. Um. So okay. Yeah. So, so with the contract stuff, can you, you said you kind of outline stuff. Mm-hmm. Details. That's right. I try to. I'm not great about doing
1: all of that. Most of the time, clients don't care. Um, and most of the time, it really, I never have to go to it. Um, only on a handful of occasions would I need to go back to the contract. As much as I can, I try to avoid it.
0: I feel like that that's kind of been the same for me. And I feel it's that way more and more so as the clients that I've developed have uh longer standing relationships with them because yep. we know each other better yep and so there's less of that kind of stuff that needs to go on because really a lot of that stuff is more of like hey look here's this thing you're agreeing to here's mm-hmm. this thing i'm agreeing to we don't know that we really trust each other mm-hmm. and so i mean you don't you don't have to have contracts no it's smart to do it's safe to do yeah. you don't like have to do it there are clients of mine that i work with that i don't have contracts with hmm because I know it's not going to be an issue. And then yeah. we'll do the work and they'll pay me. And if they don't, then I just won't ever do work for them again yeah. until they do. Yeah. It's insurance. It's
1: what happens in the worst possible situation. Do you write your own contracts? Do you have a
0: lawyer that does that? Or how did you get no, that so developed? No, so
1: I um, piecemealed a lot of my contracts based on uh, templates that I found online through associations. And then uh, other friends who had lawyers look at their contract, They let me look at it and I compared all of the notes from all like probably a dozen different contracts and looked at all of them, read through the, the verbiage and said, what what are all these saying? What are all these covering? Okay. And then I combined them into like, based on, on what, I, what my needs are, combined them into a handful of different contract templates. So I have one for uh, birth clients. When I do birth photography, I have one for architecture clients, custom library clients, event clients. <laughs> Um,
0: and then video clients
1: and they're, they're generally a lot of overlap between all of them.
0: Yeah. Cause I well, I mean, there's like basic terms, like payment terms and stuff. Like mm-hmm. the difference is mostly just kind of what you're delivering.
1: Yep. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, like with video, it requires a lot more planning. So it's like, if there's a cancellation, it needs to be within, it, it can't be within a week of the shoot. Otherwise you're paying a hundred percent. Right. Because there's too much planning that that needs to go into effect
0: do you include like rounds of revisions or anything like that or uh
1: not in the in the contract i think I i think um i include revisions um in my conversations i haven't included it on my contract specifically i need to i usually try and keep it to two yeah but allow for three to four I I operate a little bit differently, and this is an area, again, like I said before, like I'm still trying to grow in, but I'll do a story cut and say, hey, here's the storyline that I'm I'm working with. How do you feel about that? And so involving the clients more in the upfront stages rather than just creating something and giving it to them and say, here,
0: give me revisions. Right, helps them kind of, I do find that helps the process go a little bit more smoothly because they have some ownership in it. Yep and they feel like they have some control within boundaries. Yeah, And it really helps to know if you're going in the right direction. Yeah, Like, I mean, I've even done stuff where I'll make a playlist of, of like 10 or 15 different music tracks that I think would be a good fit for whatever we're doing and mm-hmm. send it over and be like, hey, which ones are your favorite? Yeah, And then I'll pick from those. And so then I know, hey, cool, they're not going to have a problem with the music. And if mm-hmm. they do, I can be like, well, you said this thing. Yeah,
1: well, I got sign off from you, so yeah. No, I think, and I, I just like, I like working like that with my clients. I know some people who, you know, they they create their piece and they give it to the client, and a lot of times it's awesome. Um, but that's that's just the way that they work. That's the way their creative process works. And for me, it's it's much more collaborative. Yeah. Um, there's something you said earlier, and I'm trying to remember it. How to do something with contracts and accounting?
0: Uh, I asked if you like had anybody else that did it for you. Yeah, I've got. Uh, I do have a CPA that does quarterly stuff. Mm-hmm. Today's have, a forgetful day for us. It
1: is. Well, I didn't really sleep very well last night either. And I've got Neither.
0: It's a my, short night.
1: Yeah. Um, I do have a CPA that I pay quarterly to do um reporting for me so I know like specifically like I'll this is my estimated tax payment for this quarter um to pay out. And then also she just tells me, Hey, you're you're within this margin of your expense ratio or of your income levels just so I, I keep having a good idea. Um, a lot of people will try and do it, and I did, I did all of my bookkeeping and, and tax reporting on my own for the longest time, up until I actually incorporated. Um, and the reason I gave that away is because I was spending a couple days a month doing my bookkeeping, and probably two to three weeks a year reporting my taxes. And this goes back to the cost of doing business. How much time was that?
0: Yeah, it was it not? Might not be
1: worth it. And I thought I calculated it. out. I was like, "This isn't worth it." Like, I let let me give my mental capacity a break from doing all the the taxes and reporting. Let me get my time back, and then I just need to shoot. You know, one shoot and that pays for a lot
0: of the yeah, <laughs> a yeah. lot of the year. For you do it. I mean, one thing, and then maybe that can, you know, pays for your CPA for the whole.
1: Yeah. And it's worth it. And so I just had to start looking at I mean, and I could do it. I, my bookkeeper even told me, she goes, you're my most organized client. And because I'm, I'm I know accounting, like I have a business degree. I, I took the classes. Uh, I knew the records that I need to keep and how to keep them. And so I could do it myself. But at the end of the day, what am, what is the value that I'm bringing to the market? It's not my ability to keep track of my records. Right.
0: And. One of the things I think one of the things that really differentiates people f- it, that you see doing really well in business is that they focus on doing the things only they can do, yep. and hire people to do mm-hmm. the things anybody can do, yeah, or the things other people can do. Mm-hmm. Maybe not yeah. not anybody, but the things other people can do.
1: Yep, I uh, I love, and this is part of my just collaborative bent. Is I just love having a team of people. Like I I emailed my bookkeeper and accountant this weekend and said, hey team, (laughs) I have a question. (laughs) Um, And that's actually, the I was talking to another friend of mine. um, It's it's been an ongoing conversation about, as we get older, when we start looking at, not just how can I put food on the table now, but what does it mean to grow into a a time of retirement even? Like what does it look like for us as creative freelancers? to plan for the future and plan for, for the end. And we, there's going to be a time when we're too old to, to be traveling around the world.
0: As much as we would like for it to not be true. It right. Is.
1: <laughs> that we're, there's going to come a point hopefully later on in life where I can't be running around hauling 50 pounds of gear. Um, you know, eight hours a day. Right. So what does that look like? And it, um, it looks like doing more together. And so that means that one-man show stuff starts fading out and doing more as a team, as a collaborative effort. As It could be a production house. It could be an agency. It could be in-house. Like, just we can't work alone the older we get.
0: So, So then would that be would we still consider if we, once we get past that point and start hiring other people to do, and outsourcing some of this stuff, would you still like, is there a line where you feel like you change from being a freelancer to like being a business owner being like a business or a shop or an, or a thing or what to you, what is a, um, what's the differentiation? I was talking to Grady about this the other day, friend of ours. Yeah. Um,
1: they're, there has to come a point where you let go of control as, and I say control with, with air quotes here just because who's really in control of anything? <laughs> uh, um, even the guy, in the salary job, like how in control is he of his salary? You know, that that's a fleeting thing too. Anyway, that's yeah. a side note. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because once you go into like a, a straight on partnership, Agency life. I mean, your your cost of doing business goes up because now you've got two people instead of just one, um, and then that means you have to command the clients that will get you there. Um, and so yeah, it's just a matter of what is it that you're, you're going for, what is it that you want to do, um, and that that has to dictate how you how you structure whether you're an agency or whether it's a. You know, it's still a one man show, but you're hiring out 1099s. Um, yeah, I I like, and this might this still might be my youth talking, but like I still like the idea of everyone being a freelancer and we just work together. Right. Yeah, me too. Um, I, but I don't know. There's value in scale.
0: So if you say say okay say that i've got like i i have my own photo studio or have my office and then i hire somebody hire an assistant on would you would i still be considered a freelancer would you say that at that point if i'm taking like jobs independent and getting hired out for these different ones or how would you know i i don't use the term freelancer a ton honestly um
1: somebody wants it's like, oh, well, we don't we don't work for free, so we're not freelancers. I'm like that. That's kind of idiotic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I get that. Uh, I, get the, no, I get the terminology. Not, that's yeah. not what, not what it means. No,
1: um, no. I, I call myself a business owner, and I think that's something that everybody has to understand. Freelancer or not, you have to you have to think like a business. And so, it's just easier to say I oh, own my own business. Oh, what kind of
0: business? Visual media. Do you think it paints a different picture in clients' minds calling yourself a freelancer versus a business owner? In my head it does. I don't know about clients. What is like what is the differentiation to I you? I think what do you think of?
1: When I think of when I say freelancer, I'm like, oh yeah, he's just this kid kind of run getting, doing his own thing. He's and he's got a camera. When I'm like I'm a business owner, that uh, means I I I've done the work. I've done the research. I've got my accounting. I've got contracts. I've got like I'm running a business. And so there's a certain air of, I'm not going to get pushed around. <laughs> like, don't, don't think I'm just some, like, punk kid that you're just going to toss around. Which, that's just me being dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the other side of the table, it's going, okay, we're doing business-to-business work. So, let's talk, like, vendor-client relationship. Yeah. I hate being a v- client-vendor relationship. I just want it to be a relationship mm-hmm. that I provide services mm-hmm. and that you need. Um, but at the end of the day that's what it is
0: it has to yeah it has to be it's hard to blurring the lines is tough sometimes mm-hmm. and sometimes I question whether it's really that good of an idea yeah but there definitely does have to be some definition of
1: mm-hmm. and that's what where we're doing. that's where contracts come in yeah is we're friends but I'm going to put a contract here because that's going to define the boundaries for us and I'm very rarely going to go to that because I'm still placing a higher priority on our relationship. It's just
0: a kind of a failsafe. I could go back to you.
1: Absolutely. All right. And well, it's something that we can say both agreed on. This, these are the terms of, of why we're doing this.
0: Well, dude, it's uh, to your point earlier. We could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> yeah. So we're at like an hour and a half, hour and forty-five. I think it's kind of flown by. Holy crap! Uh, yeah. So, like, last, like, wrap up. What do you? feel like if anything people should take from this today
1: you it, it, you said it just a, a few minutes ago talking about what's what's that thing that you do that only you can do and that's something that I'm real big on maximizer is one of my top strengths finder strengths it is my belief in the imago Dei meaning that everybody that is created is made in the image of God in that Everyone that is here on this earth is here for a reason because they have been specifically crafted to be in the place that they're at doing the thing that they're doing for a reason. And so I think that means that everybody has a unique part to play. I want everyone to know what that is. And so I do coaching and part of that is, is doing finders, doing Enneagram and doing narrative. Like what's, what's the story that you've been living out of? Where are you living out of a false narrative? Um, and then how do, how do we move forward from there? Because I think that everybody has, I mean, I just watched uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Have you seen it? No, I heard it's great, though. Yeah, I mean, it's just Mr. Rogers, and his whole thing was everybody is special. Now, a lot of people have criticized him and said, well, that's how we got all
0: of this, like. That's, that's where we are today, and all yeah, the little kids get yeah. participation trophies. You
1: know, and so you can go back and forth, but I actually I really do believe that. Like, going back to the idea of Mago Day, if you are if you bear the image of God, that means there's intrinsic value in who you are. And there's intrinsic value because you've been created in a particular way. And so what is that, that thing that you do that no one else can? And it might, be, it might look like everyone else, um, but there's still something different about you as a person. And so can you bring that to the table? And that's how I look at my, my relationship. That's why I'm so relational, is because you as a client bring something into my world that no other client will, and then hopefully I'm doing the same to your world. And so I want to maintain that with boundaries, AKA contract, pricing agreement, things like that. Um, But if there's a way that I can help you be you better, that's a win, win, win. Because in me helping you, that means I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm supposed to be doing. Um, And so I think that's what all of us can bring to the table, and especially as creatives, especially as creators, we have the opportunity to bring something to the table that other people can't and be find what that is for yourself and do that and don't try and be what everyone else is I think that's the biggest soul suck there is yeah <laughs> I'm I, as long as I'm trying to be someone else I'm not being me so that's be my goal be yourself
0: thanks Paul yeah brother A lot of great words man uh, where can people find you online check out your work
1: paulgoimages.com that is my branding all across the board you can even do paulgo.com
0: but cool I'll yeah. well, put, uh, put some links to his stuff in the show notes vacacy.com slash freelance Friday thanks so much for listening to this episode today if you liked it and you found it helpful please leave us some comments some shares some reviews all those things help this get to other people's ears that need to he- hear it and uh, helps us know that we are providing some value for you all. Until next time, see you later. Freelance Freddy is a Vacacy production. Vacacy is a freelance content creator based in the United States and available worldwide. Vacacy, big production value, freelance, agility, and scale.